Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. He's back! Not only is Moff Gideon back on The Mandalorian and up to no good, but the man who plays him, Giancarlo Esposito, is back on the Dagobah Dispatch and he's brought a few friends with him. That's right. Not only will we be breaking down the Chapter 23, The Spies episode of The Mandalorian, which featured a big death, by the way, but we've got Giancarlo Esposito as well as Grief Karga himself, Carl Weathers, and the armor Emily Swallow with us straight from Star Wars Celebration. Speaking of Star Wars Celebration, we were there and we'll tell you what we saw because we were in the room where it happened. We spoke to the cast of all the shows. We spoke to Lucasfilm President Kathleen Kennedy, and we will share our thoughts on all the big news, including some news we broke ourselves. That's right. We were breaking news on Easter Sunday. It's all coming up right here on the Dagobah Dispatch. I am Dalton Ross. Devin Kogan is out on a covert mission this week, but I am joined once again by Lauren Morgan, who is getting progressively more and more jealous as I texted her photos from Star Wars Celebration in London. Isn't that right, Lauren? Yes, yes. You were showing me lots of photos and I'm like, oh, I'm jealous. But basically my entire uh, Twitter timeline was Star Wars uh celebration photos so i just spent the last four days being like and then they announced star wars celebrations the next one's going to be in japan so my we've been planning to go to japan so maybe we will go be going to star wars celebration japan we'll Mm -hmm. see 2025 y'all 2025 book your tickets now it was (laughs) this is my this is my first time going i was supposed to go last year and then um was unable to go at the last minute which is kind of a bummer uh, and that was in Anaheim. Um, and so obviously I've been to a million and one comic cons. So, you know, I know the flavor of it, but it's kind of cool going to one where all the cosplay is star Wars, you know, like usually it's like one out of 20 cosplays or whatever you see at a comic con is a star Wars character, but here it's like every single star Wars, uh, character, which was really cool. Um, uh, lots of porny looking Darth Talons, uh, <laughs> Lord out there. You know, I, I, oh, I like God. me some Darth Talon, uh, saw multiple <laughs> men in slave Leia outfits, which was pretty cool. That Actually, is frightening. Guess which character Lauren, I would say was m- the most represented cosplayed character at hmm. the convention. Take a guess on that for me. I would say Boba Fett, but just because I've been to New York Comic Con and there were a lot of Boba Fetts, but I don't know who was the who was the the biggest uh, the well, biggest winner. Well, let me say this: there were just in general a lot of people in various Mandalorian armor. Like you know what I mean? Like there mm-hmm. were some Boba Fetts, there were some Dins, obviously there were some Bo Katans, and there were just sort of generic Mandalorians as well. I think easily, I, I don't even think it was close. Really, I think it was Ahsoka. 
I, I think, really? I think that Ahsoka was probably, I mean, you know, obviously a lot of Leia's, a lot of Anakin's, hardly any Darth Vader's, like hardly hmm. any, like in terms of the black armor. Um, well, you know, I think after a while, Darth Vader, like there's so much more you can do with some of the other costumes. And I'm sure people have been to Darth Vader and, and so many other celebrations that they're trying to expand their repertoire of cosplay costumes. That's I tried to, I, would, you know. I, tr- I tried to like send Lauren a, a few photos specific. Like I made this one dude, Captain Rex. I took his picture, but <laughs> I asked him, he looks so much like old Rebels era Captain Rex. I'm like, okay, take your picture. He goes, sure. And he puts his helmet on. I'm like, no, 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 take the helmet back off. <laughs> <laughs> like, you look great. Don't hide the face. Uh, I, I did like that. You know, we did see the old Captain Rex there. So, you know, that's, that was good. I, I, you know, going back to like, we used to at EW, we'd do a Comic Con gallery every year for like San Diego Comic Con. And I could always get the Star Wars ones, but when it wasn't Star Wars or it was like some anime thing, I'm like, I have no idea what this is. It's just very cool looking. So at least at Star Wars celebration, I could at least identify probably 95% of the costumes. So, yeah, we had a photo studio set up. And if you haven't seen them, we've got great. Uh, photos of all the cast members uh, there at at celebration, but we weren't able to bring cosplayers up. But I wish we had because there were just some <laughs> just incredible. Like I sent you that one photo. It was like this weird like Wookie and like fancy pants outfit. Like it was just like a, a cane walking around. I don't know what was going on there. Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's get into actually actual news and footage and things that came out of Star Wars Celebration. Then we're going to get into the penultimate episode of The Mandalorian. Obviously, big stuff happening. We're going to talk a lot about that. And of course, we have our big uh, interview with uh, some folks from Celebration, Giancarlo Esposito, Carl Weathers, and Emily Swallow, all going to join us. But uh, you were watching from afar on your Twitter timeline and keeping track of what was going on, Lauren. I'll tell you sort of what I saw there because I got to see some things that people didn't if they weren't there. But what were you most excited about to come out of Star Wars Celebration? And you, you're probably going to be surprised by this, but the thing I was most excited about was that they announced that there would be a new Ray movie and that she would be rebuilding the Jedi Order. Because as you know, I did not like her ending in The Rise of Skywalker. So I was glad to see she was going to get an entire story for herself. So I, and I saw the video of Daisy Ridley coming out and everyone cheering and I, and I thought that was super sweet. So I was very excited by that. Um, so that was like the big one. And then, you know, finally we got to see the Ahsoka trailer and basically my reaction to that was my babies. So <laughs> I was just very excited to finally see the Ahsoka trailer and to see uh, Ray Stav- uh, Stevenson as it seemed like a Sith, even though he had sort of an orange lightsaber. So kind of curious about that. So what were you most excited about to hear? Well, so let's start with the movie news stuff, right? We'll yeah. talk about movie, then we'll talk about uh, TV. We knew that there was movie news that was going to come out. Mm-hmm. I had been told not what the movie news was, but to expect some news coming out. And uh, it wasn't just one movie. It was three different movies set in three different eras. There's the Ray film, which is set 15 years after the, uh, the Rise of Skywalker. There is the Dave Filoni movie that he's doing, which is basically set in the uh, this whole time period that they're doing now between Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka, and Skeleton Crew, which is all in the same time period. And and you assume that okay, that's that's their Avengers meetup, right? Like that, mm-hmm. like we figured it was going to happen on the small screen. Now it's going to happen on the big screen. And Dave Filoni and Kathleen Kennedy, the president of Lucasfilm, basically said yes. That, that's what that is. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then there's a, a movie directed by James Mangold, who's also there with the new Indiana Jones film, which will be set 25,000 years in the past. It's basically going to show the story of the first Jedi, the first sort of force user, essentially uh, forming the the Jedi Order, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of interesting that they're doing all of that. We were able to break a little news because I asked Kathleen Kennedy when she came in the W suite, I said, so what's up with the crawl? You know, the crawl, <laughs> the opening crawl was in the first, well, not the first nine, but in the nine Skywalker saga films. Mm-hmm. They intentionally did not use it in Rogue One or Solo because they said they want to differentiate those movies from the other nine films. So I said, all right, well, Ray, you know, she kind of comes from those movies and it's sort of a continuation of that story. And she was a Skywalker. She is a Skywalker now. And that was and the Skywalker. I know it annoys you. And the sand <laughs> and the lightsaber bearing and all that stuff. So I said, are you bringing the crawl back? She goes, yes. Uh, the crawl's back. And I, then I followed up. I said, okay, is it just back for the Ray film? Or she goes, no, the crawl is for movies. So what's happening, Lauren, is that basically they're now bringing the crawl back. That's their differentiation between TV shows and movies is that the crawl will be back in movies. How do you feel about that? It seems a little bit silly. Like, you know, we're just putting the crawl on the movies. Um, (laughs) So it's like, I mean, I could understand putting it on the Ray thing, but I guess like the James Mangold one, you know, that's the very beginning of the whole story. So, you know, I, I, I did think it was interesting that with like Mangold and Filoni, these are two filmmakers who obviously can get through the Lucasfilm development process, which has has taken down many other filmmakers. So I thought that was interesting where I was like, when, when I saw that it was like, you know, Mangold and Filoni, I was like, okay, so these have a pretty good chance of actually getting made because they've already been through this process for like Indiana Jones and obviously Dave Filoni and Kathleen Kennedy work very well together. So I thought that was like very, you know, interesting. And I, and with the Ray part of it, I was just like, well, this, I don't, I don't know if the director will survive the process, but I'm pretty sure the Ray movie is getting made. But The Crawl, it's kind of like, it, it's kind of like, I mean, I can honestly see why it would be back for the Ray movie, but, you know, it's kind of weird to have it for the, whatever the culmination of the Mandalorian verses, because we just haven't seen it in the, in the TV shows at all, or any of the Mando verse shows. I, I mean, I get it. I get why they're doing it. First off, I love the crawl. And I yeah. like it's anytime I go back to watch Rogue One now, I don't really go back to watch Solo. But anytime I go back to watch Rogue <laughs> One, I kind of miss it and wish it were there. And by yeah. the way, Rogue One is so attached to the original prequel. It's I mean, original trilogy. Why not put it in there? Yeah. So yeah. I do yeah. miss it. And I do understand it. Like, I understand why you wouldn't use it for TV. You don't necessarily want to big long crawl every week for an episode but i think for a movie yeah. it makes sense so I'm, I'm glad personally it's back um i'm excited for all these movies uh you know i'm a big ray defender we've argued about that i, I know you mm-hmm. really liked ray a lot too you just were soured on everyone and everything after rise of skywalker <laughs> yeah. I, I i say not her fault uh not yeah that- i mean it isn't it, you know i liked i love daisy ridley a lot i think she yeah. brought a lot to the role i'm glad to see that she gets to take ray into the future very curious if they are going to convince john boyega to come back if like being like hey jedi master finn because like you know strangely in the you know some of the lego animated stuff like finn is very much 
you know, he's talking to force ghosts. So I am very curious if they would be able to get like John Boyega back. And like even Oscar Isaac said something about six months ago where he's like, ah, I'm, you know, he, he sounded much more mild on it than he did at the end of, you know, when during the press tour for Tros where he was just like, you know, and he just like, he's like, well, maybe. So I am curious if some of these conversations have already happened. And even John Boyega said something like two months ago where he's like, yeah, like, you know, it was basically like, yeah, I'm cool with Lucasfilm now. So I am very curious as to like whether they're going to try and get Poe and Finn into this movie as well. You know, and I was I was joking about how much money they would have to pay Adam Driver to be a force ghost in this movie. (laughs) But I'm curious about that. I I think I think that. Finn is is back. I mean, I, I asked Kathleen yeah. Kennedy about it. Are, are some of the other people from the that trilogy going to be back? And she's like, basically said you can expect to see them back. Like, not not yeah. by name, but you can expect to see some people back. And like, Finn is yeah. the obvious one that makes the most sense. So yeah, I mean, and so much of John Boyega's rightful annoyance with the later part of the sequel trilogy was that you know they were setting Finn up to be a Jedi, and then kind of he did it and then it's sort of like well you know now he could be one and he could be a jedi master and he could be rebuilding the jedi order with ray and that would be a really interesting thing for him to do so you know a former stormtrooper turned jedi that's that's a pretty interesting plot line so i am hoping that they can get john back uh and that he will you know it'll be the satisfying experience that i think he was missing the first time well the thing is too is he can they can pitch him on what his story would be you yeah, know what I mean? Like he yeah. was sort of locked into that trilogy and they kept changing directors back and forth yeah. and the story and like, but he can be like, show me the script or show me the outline yeah. of what he's going to be doing. And if he likes it, then I bet he'll do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. Let, let's talk about the, the, the TV news that came out. I don't know if there's a lot to say about um, Andor and Mando at Celebration. Uh, Mando, just so you know, what they did was they, they, at the, at the panel, they showed, um, an advanced clip of the episode that now just aired uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then they said, come back tonight. We're going to show you the whole episode. So we got to see the whole episode early, which was, which was fun. Um, and, or they showed some footage. It was basically kind of a mm-hmm. victory lap more for season one, but they did show some footage for season two. Um, it looked good, but you couldn't really make anything out of it. There was no huge yeah. headlines to come out of the footage that we saw of Andor season two. So let's talk about the other shows. Let's talk about uh, Ahsoka. Um, they announced some, so Ahsoka was at the Friday panel, then it had its own Saturday panel. So Lauren, mm-hmm. you saw the trailer at the Friday panel at the Saturday panel. They showed a, what they called a remixed trailer just for people in the room. It was basically the same as the one all of you guys have seen out there, except for it showed a front shot of Admiral Fr- Thrawn. You saw his face and mm-hmm. you saw Sabine fighting with a lightsaber. And you mm-hmm. saw a little more footage of of Ezra Bridger. Um, those were the big headlines to come out of the in the room only trailer. They announced uh, some new casting. The magistrate from the Mandalorian will be will be back, and uh, Lars Mikkelsen, who did the voice of Thrawn in Rebels, will be playing Thrawn. They announced that. Ray Stevenson, you mentioned. They have this new character Shin, who's also a baddie, and um, his, Chopper was there. And uh, so it looked good. So, I mean, the footage looks great. It's basically season five of Rebels, Lauren. Yeah, pretty much. And I know you're excited for that. Yeah, I was really excited when I saw I mean, I probably have watched the trailer five or six times at this point. Um, Because the first time I saw it, it was like, 
probably like six o'clock in the morning. And then I tried to watch it a little bit. And there was some interesting stuff like that, where it looks like she's fighting Ray Stevenson's character. Looks like it's kind of in the world between worlds. It has like that very kind of like Mortis kind of, you know, uh, someone took a screen grab of it on, on um, Twitter and I looked at it and I was like, Oh yeah, that does. So I'm interested in like some crazy force stuff going on here, but like glad to finally see that they confirmed Mary Elizabeth Winstead is playing Hera, which they had been rumoring for a while. And the person who's playing uh, Ezra, like who had been rumored for a while, like he confirmed he's playing Ezra. The more footage of Ezra, did you see, was it just a hollow thing or was it actually, did you see Ezra? I, I, I mean, I'm trying to remember, Lauren, it's, it's frustrating because, mm-hmm. you know, you see it in the room, you can't go back and watch it, right? Yeah. So, but there was another shot of him and it wasn't like him mm-hmm. interacting in person with anyone, right? But it was, it was yeah. just one more shot of his face and, but not with anyone. So it wasn't anything yeah. dramatic. Yeah. I, I know you like seeing the loath cat. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I know you like seeing that. Um... Look, it looks good. I, I I spoke to Dave Filoni about it, and I spoke to the cast. Um, I love uh, the the cast and all of them, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, it, Lars Mickelson told me we're going to play all these interviews for you guys when I talk about speaking to these people. We have, I mean, we literally have like fifteen interviews we came out with. So we're going to, you know, each week we'll sort of give you another taste uh, of one of those interviews. But Lars Mickelson, Lauren, he he told me he got teary on the stage hearing the reaction. The reaction to him, people just lost their minds. <laughs> when he came out on stage and when they showed the, his face in the trailer. And then while we were interviewing him, while I was interviewing him, he he started to get a little teary again. Like just oh, about amazing. the reaction he's gotten and it was it was incredible and and uh I can't wait to see obviously live action Thrawn. It'll be great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I think when they people were talking about casting Thrawn, and I was like, if you have a Mickelson brother who's already playing Thrawn, like you just go with the Mickelson brother because, like, you know, we have his other his brothers. You know, he was obviously in Rogue One. He was, you know, he's the baddie, and it looks like he's the baddie in the Indiana Jones movie. So, you know, I I mean, that was just one of those castings from like the the. the, it's kind Gale, of like, Gale and Ursa. like yeah yeah it's like you know it's just, you basically like if you have this person who's doing the voice work who you know also i mean he would he basically also looks like thron so it's like basically you just need to just paint the man blue and let him go you're fine yeah. so for, i was excited to see that he was back for nerds like me that read air of the empire air of the emperor when it first came out in like the 90s like to finally see this guy make the jump to live action in stars is, is pretty, is pretty great. Now when, I've, when I've Ahsoka been, said heir to the empire, you know, he's yeah. the heir to the empire. Did you squee? Like, was you there an internal, like, you know? <laughs> yeah. You heard it in the room too. There was in a room with 4,500 people and they're just like, yeah, like losing their mind over it. <laughs> it's so cool. And like, I mean, listen, I've been critical of some of the recent Thrawn books, you know, and mm-hmm. what will be really interesting, Lauren, I'm not going to geek out on this too much. But they've made Thrawn kind of like a likable, heroic character in these recent books. Like, he's not a bad guy. Yeah. So it's kind of really curious how that's what they're doing in the publishing world with the character now. And yet, on screen, I'm assuming he's going to be, you know, who he is. And Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny the way they're going to have to, like, sort of meld those those two things together. All right. uh, We're excited for Ahsoka. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Skeleton Crew. This is also coming out this year. This is basically their 
Amblin version of Star Wars. Amblin was production company uh, run by Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall. Mm-hmm. And back in the eighties, they you know they had movies like E.T., Gremlins, Goonies, Back to the Future. You know, a lot of like kids or in case of Back to the Future, high school age people going on fantastical adventures. What surprised me about Skeleton Crew they sh- they brought out. We knew Jude Law was doing it, uh, and he's playing a Jedi, Lauren. I mean, he's. Mm-hmm. You see him, they showed a trailer in the room and you see him sort of float a key into his hand and he has robes on. So he's, he at least has the force and seems to be a Jedi. And they brought the kids on stage. They're younger than I thought. I was kind of thinking- They seem like pretty young kids. Yeah, I thought it'd be more like teenagers. These are like, these are tweens at best. They Mm -hmm. look pretty young. So that, of course, made me a little nervous. What are your thoughts on Skeleton Crew? <laughs> I'm the Skeleton Crew is still the one that I'm like a little bit like, hmm, about. Like, you know, it's not like, you know, obviously Ahsoka is an easy sell for me. And Skeleton Crew, I'm like, huh. Like, it's like one of these things. I'm like, I'm going to have to see this one because it's like, like, I like Jude Law. And like, so far, the concept hasn't quite like sold me yet. So this is going to be one where I'm like, I think the execution of it is really going to be the thing that finally sort of, you know, it's either going to work or it's not going to work for me. But you know. I, I, I think we trust the people behind it, right? Like yeah. Chris Ford yeah. and John Watts and like are great. And and uh, Amblin, like we can get behind that. I'm, I'm actually, I think Goonies is way overrated. I know people are going to now like send, like, like give us, give us terrible reviews and like send us hate <laughs> messages on social media. But, but ET, Gremlins, Back to the Future, you know, I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So if they, if they can catch that vibe, then great. It didn't look bad. Like the trailer doesn't, like, yeah. there's nothing about it that, like, I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. I'm just not all in yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm just nervous. Always nervous when there's a lot of kids on screen. It could go well, go, like with Stranger Things, so or it could not go yeah. well. Yeah. Could go, go and also, way. I mean, Stranger Things, has, as the kids have aged, they some of them are aging better than other of them. So it's kind of like, you know, when you get those kids at that, that age where it's like they haven't quite become adults yet, you know, things can go sort of sideways. So... I'm, you know, I'm, it's it's one of these when I'm cautiously, I'm cautious about it. Like, you know, I'm not quite sold on it yet, but we'll see, you know, we'll see how it goes. I am curious if this is very much going to be like, uh, you know, really geared much more towards kids. Like, you know, we, we had this discussion with like Andor was much more adult, Mandalorian sort of more kid centered. So I'm curious if it's going to be like more of a kid centered, you know, this is going to be something, you know, for preteen Star Wars fans or... Uh- I asked, we asked sort of uh, everyone involved about that and they kind of made it seem like essentially like it's got kids in it, but it's not a show for kids. Meaning Mm -hmm. like, but that doesn't mean it's, it's not going to be Andor, Lauren, but it it probably will be, won't be too much more kitty than Mando. I mean, it's, listen, it's always fantastical. Amblin is fantastical. You know what I mean? Like, so there's going to be that sort of element to it, but I don't think it's a a show made for 10 year olds, even if it's starring, you know. 10 year olds in it. I don't know how old they are. Yeah. Um, all right. Let, let's get to the show that I am now super pumped for. This is a show I think we were kind of excited about, but like mm-hmm. now after seeing the footage, after talking to the cast and talking to Leslie Headland, who's running it, like I am just all chips in the middle of the table for the Acolyte, man. Um, yeah, that one's, this that's one the looks, one I'm pretty excited about. 
this is the one that it's weird, Lauren. Like they told us it took place in the High Republic era, but it's not the era that we've been reading these books in. And even the books that we've been reading have been taking place a hundred years apart from each other. It's not in either of those eras. It's basically at the end of the High Republic era. And it's basically where, you know, there's the Jedi are uh, in full force, but the Sith are working in the shadows. And it's going to be sort of focused on the villains, so they say. It's going to have lots of martial arts influence fighting. You look at the cast and we had like, I feel like eight of them or something, uh, maybe even more come through our studio that were there. Easily the most inclusive diverse Star Wars project ever. Uh, and it's a, it's a great cast too. Uh, you've got Amanda Stenberg, you got Lee Jung Jae from Squid Game, Manny Jacinto, Daphne Keene, people remember from um, Logan, uh, Jody Turner-Smith. Um, so it looks great. Yeah, that's like a really killer cast. When I was looking at the full cast list, I was like, this is a really interesting cast and it's filled with like really interesting actors. So, and like just having Leslie Headland like do this, like this is the one I'm, I'm super intrigued by. And I'm, you know, and it seems like, you know, Leslie Headland's like a super Star Wars nerd. So I'm yes. really interested to see what she does with this. And, you know, yeah, I'm hoping she gets to put her stamp on it as much as possible. So, you know, I'm the kind of hoping that, you know, what they let Tony Gilroy do with Andor that she's gotten to do with the acolyte. It looks really cool. And two words, by the way, Wookiee Jedi. Yeah. And, and I'm, I was very happy to see that uh, Jonas or Junus is coming back to play a Wookiee Jedi. So um, who uh, took over from Peter Mayhew to, and playing Chewbacca. I'm glad he's back in the fold playing another, another Jedi or a, another Wookiee. So. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I, I spoke to spoke to Jonas and I said, dude, I thought you were playing Buryaga, who's a <laughs> Wookiee Jedi in the High Republic. And he said, I did too. But instead, <laughs> instead it's this new character of Kelnaka. Um, but either way, it's a Wookiee Jedi and a Wookiee with a lightsaber, like... I mean, cool we saw that? we saw Gunji on the Bad Batch, and that was fun, you know. I mean, we've seen right. Gunji other places, but there are Wookiee Jedi's, and you know, I'm all for more Wookiee Jedi's. I just find the concept of that delightful. So, I was very excited to see that he also gets to stay in the uh, Wookiee family. So, we're just gonna have him play all the Wookiees. I'm telling you, I mean, I'm I'm just <laughs> the acolyte man. I'm just like I, I'm just I was so pumped for Ahsoka, and still so pumped for Ahsoka. But now I'm really looking forward to that because I was I talked to them also. And I said, you know, that that lightsaber scene battle in Phantom Menace is like my favorite lightsaber battle ever. And like the Ray Park work and Ewan McGregor is so amazing that and they're like, that's what we were trying to top every day. Like that was our goal. Mm -hmm. Take that scene and do better than that. And as soon as they said that to me, I'm like, I'm all yours. Like I'm, <laughs> uh, you, you got me with that. Like. Uh, just, just put like, the jetpacks on the Jedi and then we'll really be in business. <laughs> uh, so good. All right. Anything else you want to hit on from Celebration before we get into uh, the penultimate season three episode of Mandalorian? Oh, I was I was excited to hear that, Um, you know, being the animation nerd that I am, I was uh, excited to hear that both Tales of the Jedi was getting a second season and that also uh, Bad Batch was getting a, a, a third and final season. So um, I was, you know, obviously I, I'm a fan of, Lucasfilm's animation. So glad to see both of those uh, were getting new seasons. Do you still think tech is dead? Like, have you finally yes. realized he's not? Do you really think he's no. dead? 
Literally, I think he's dead. I think okay. he is dead. No. Yeah. You feel free to say, I told you so when tech pops up in season three. But right now, I think he's dead. Lauren, I'm the one that's always wrong on this podcast. <laughs> I come in with these like hard opinions. Like, come on, you're an idiot. Of course, better than I'm always so at one wrong. Point, at one point, one of us is going to be texting you, I told you so. <laughs> we don't know which one's going to be. So we'll uh, see. All right, let's let's get into um, Mandalorian uh, chapter twenty three, the spies again. We've got Giancarlo Esposito, Carl Weathers, and Emily Swallow. They're going to join us. Uh, obviously, a good week to talk to Giancarlo Esposito, uh, considering finally the return of Moff Gideon. Although it's a little weird, Lauren. Like they still don't really show how he was busted out or what they just. He's all of a sudden <laughs> just there in a meeting room, essentially, and like, oh, okay, so. What, what, Very what's cool the, looking meeting room, you know. Yeah, so, <laughs> like, hologram heavy. Um, but anyway, he's back. Let's let's. I, I think there's a few big things we want to talk about. The first is kind of this opening scene. What we're talking about this meeting that he's having here with all these holograms about sort of future plans. And what was interesting is some of those holograms. We've been talking about a lot of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Well, here we saw his right hand man. Captain Pallion. Now, Captain Pallion is, uh, again, heir to the Empire, a uh, character yeah. in that book who's Thrawn's kind of right-hand dude. Uh, he got a mention, I think, once in Star Wars Rebels, or you heard his voice off, off, off camera, or he was referenced, but wasn't really on the show. But he's in this scene, and he's talking about Thrawn's plans and imminent return and this and that. And he's kind of got an ally in the room in another hologram, which was... Commandant Hux. And it took me a minute as I was watching at Star Wars Celebration, I'm like, hold on a second. Is that <laughs> is that our Hux? Is that Hux from the sequel that trilogy? I think our Hux is pretty much a toddler at this point, if I right. have the timeline correct. Like, so you like, know. So hey, that's exactly right. So it, it it's basically his father, Brendel mm -hmm. Hux, who's been Mentioned in other expanded universe sort of areas as well. And what's funny is this plays Hux's, this is Hux's dad, but it's played by his brother, uh, yeah. Brian I, I was like, I, when, when you told me that it was, you know, when you had seen it and you told me and I was like, is it Brendan? He's like, I don't think it's Brendan. I was like, ah, oh, that's such a, you know, come on. You, you know, it's just an easy layup to have Donald's dad do it. But, you know, yeah. I'm sure he was busy collecting uh, Oscar nominations and things of, and such. So, but, you know, we, we did get a Gleason. It just was his brother instead of his father. But, you know, keeping it in the family as it was. Yeah. So he's in there. There's lots of talk about Project Necromancer, which was interesting considering all the cloning thing that's been happening on all the different Star Wars shows. Uh, obviously a reference to everything that's been going on there and with Pershing and on the Bad Batch and what have you. And so, and then basically Gideon tells him I need a Praetorian guard and I need some TIE bombers and interceptors. Let, just talk about what you were thinking. Is this a long scene, Lauren? Yeah, really this was a pretty episode. long scene. And I think this is like, and, and this is sort of the thing that I've heard complaints about the sequel trilogy where it was like, you know, the first order kind of came out of nowhere. And it's obviously like, if you've read the novel Bloodline, you you know that, you know, the, the New Republic had a lot of issues. And so you can kind of just see through the Mandalorian that they're sort of elucidating what issues the New Republic had and that the Empire was not completely driven out. And here you're seeing really the beginnings of the First Order or, you know, they, they haven't named themselves the First Order yet, but it's basically the Empire trying to 
you know, retake control. And it seems like under the, uh, under the orders of Grand Admiral Thrawn, but, you know, Moff Gideon's obviously high up in this whole plan and stuff like that. So I thought, I did think the whole scene was interesting because it does really clarify that, you know, the empire never really went away. And, and when they were talking about like, you know, like, you know, there's supporters of the empires all over the galaxy, uh, you know, all over the galaxy. So, I mean, it was kind of just like, you know, the, the, uh, you know, return of the Jedi basically made it seem like the you know, the empire is defeated forever. And the Mandalorian is really complicating that, uh, that thought that no, they're not really gone, but it was also interesting how they were trying to, stay under the radar and just be like, you know, can be considered Imperial warlords instead of this organized plot to overthrow the new Republic. And I thought this was very interesting because it's basically like the beginning of the rebellion where it was like, you know, when Deidre Miro was trying to be like, no, all of these things are connected and the rebellions trying to stay under the radar. So I thought that was kind of an interesting parallel that like, you know, these, these, governing systems are never sort of solid they're always sort of changing and people are challenging them and that kind of and it's very much like what's what reality is like so i thought that was kind of an interesting part about it and you know that but that is like some fancy you know that was a fancy meeting area that they're they they've got going there <laughs> so i thought that was like i was kind of trying like, to look i was like where, where's gideon's like a uh, hollow camera i was trying to figure yeah. out like where, where his like <laughs> In the room was. Um, I was like, they are not cheaping cheaping out on the conference technology in this uh, in this imperial, uh, you know, this new well, imperial thing they're trying to build. We have some stuff in the middle of the episode we can get to, and let, let's just this mm-hmm. the the opening of the episode with this meeting connects directly with the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So let's let's kind of then go there to the uh, the battle at the Great Forge, where the Mandalorians, Bo-Katan brings them to Mandalore, and they're all now there, sort of underground, all these different factions and clans and what have you. And all of a sudden, uh, they encounter all these Imperials with jetpacks, and they basically mm-hmm. get baited into a trap. Gideon captures Din. Um, yeah. Starts bragging about how he created the dark trooper suits from Beskar and how he's taken the best from clones, Jedi, Mandalorians, and basically just gives himself props. Uh, steals Din away, and then uh, Paz Vizsla closes the doors to try and save everyone else. Kills a bunch of uh, Imperials. Think he's good to go, and then all of a sudden, the Praetorian Guards show up, and seemingly. Mm-hmm. Speaking of like people like Tech. I know you don't want to think anyone's ever dead, but I do think. <laughs> he seems pretty dead. This guy, <laughs> I mean, dead. listen, Cobb Vance seemed pretty dead, right? But Boba Fett seemed pretty you know, dead. That's true. But so, I mean, we know Cobb Vance is still alive because he's been in the back to tank right. and got some kind of bionic thing going on here. But, but when he got shot by Cad Bane, he seemed yeah. pretty dead, Lauren. Mm-hmm. So, but you can anyway. never keep a good lawman down. So. No, you can't. <laughs> never, so, but no, never count. Paz Vizsla seems pretty dead. So, t- yeah. Give me your thoughts on this entire situation. Din um, captured Praetorian guards, who we would first see in The Last Jedi, guarding Snoke, show up on the scene, and Paz Vizsla taken down. Yeah, I thought like, you know, I, I thought I, I liked seeing the Praetorian guards and their vibroblades. And I was just like, oh, they, you know, they've been training for years. So we're seeing it. it I, I do like how as much as I don't like Tros, but I do like how they are trying to connect into the sequel trilogy and sort of really establish where all of this, you know, all of this stuff came from. 
Um, I mean, glad to see Giancarlo Esposito back because, you know, if you want a villain, you really can't get any better than hiring Giancarlo Esposito to play your villain. And he always just looks like he's having so much fun when he's, uh, you know, when he's doing the Mandalorian. So glad to see he was back. Um, you know, and I thought it was like kind of an interesting flip of season two where it's like, well, like, you know, he had captured Grogu at the end of season two and now Din's captured. Um, and also, um, now, uh, you know, baby Yoda's in that IG 12 suit, which was possibly my favorite part of the episode. We'll get to that. Was, yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, so, so this kind of stuff, Paz Vizsla, you know, I'm, you know. He he was very uh, handy in a battle, but as as a character, I never really felt too much for him, which is the problem when you have a lot of characters just running around in helmets and who are not voiced by Pedro Pascal. It's kind of hard to to feel an emotional uh, connection. I I do feel bad for poor Ragnar now that his dad is gone. But you don't uh, think uh, John you didn't like John Favreau's voice work on Paz Vizsla? <laughs> He's okay. I mean, he plays a lot of the Vizslas. I I, I have complicated feeling towards the Vizslas. Uh, as a clan in general. So whenever I hear the name Vizsla, I'm like, oh, troublemakers. So, um, yeah, kind of just like, you know, I, you know I, I, this is the one problem I have with a lot of the children of the watch is that hard to hard to get to know them character wise. So when they go down, you're, you're a little bit like, Meh, there goes a Mandalorian, but not not really feeling too much for them. So. I thought that I like the way that they use the Praetorian guards. I like the way that the armor seemed to be sort of a marriage between the old uh, Emperor's Guard from the original yeah, trilogy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. sort of like the, the helmets were a little bit like that still, while the rest of the outfit was more like the Praetorians that we see in Last Jedi. So this is kind of like you see that sort of You can see the development change. between the yeah. two of them. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Um, I, I don't know where they're going with the... Din being cast. I guess. I guess the one thing that like, it's it's always like goes back to the old like James Bond movies, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like you'd be yelling at the villain, like, "Why are you just kill James Bond? Like, you know, why are you <laughs> yeah, messing yeah. around?" And like, "Why like, aren't you taking that vibro blade to, to, uh, to yeah, James Bond?" Yeah, exactly. Like, why why aren't you just like you're, you're you're dressing James Bond up in a tux? You're making him eat dinner with you. <laughs> why don't you just shoot him in the face? Like, you're 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 putting him on a strapping into a table, and you're sending a laser up like towards his crotch and yet you leave the room before he dies just to make sure he's dead. Like, like, so the fact that like, they just conveniently like, Oh, let's just take him with us. Like, why are they not killing him? Obviously (laughs) I don't want them to kill him, but it's just sort of like, I don't know. It's a little weird. Um, but I thought Paz Vizsla got a good send off. It's like, he is a weird yeah, guy. I mean, it was very well directed. So, I mean, like I, I did think the action at the end was like, it was, it was very well done. I enjoyed it and stuff like that. It's more just Paz as a character. I've always been well, like, I mean, like, listen, you don't like him because he challenged in for the dark saber. That's what you don't like. about <laughs> him. Um, well, that was I, like, I knew he was going to challenge him and I knew Din was not going to give him the dark saber. So he stood up and backed Bo right after yeah, Bo saved his son, granted. Um, mm-hmm. But he's, he he gave the big speech that helped bring everyone together. He was a guy he sacrificed, clearly sacrificed himself here. So he went. He, you said the clans got some issues, but he went down in a in a very honorable way. So. He went down as a Mandalorian should. He went down fighting. So I mean, he had a noble Mandalorian death. I just as the you know, he's just one of those characters. I'm like, eh. all right, we're we're gonna talk to the uh, the cast members in just a minute. But real quickly, what's your prediction for the finale? Give me a prediction right now. Um, I feel like Moff's going to have to escape again. Um, 
which at a certain point, it's like, you're really going to either have to really kill this man <laughs> or something, but it's like, uh, but I, I mean, I, at least with him here, the season has sort of a little bit of a directional focus. Cause I think people were saying that, it, you know, it, it wasn't feeling super focused. I do wish the season was a little bit longer. Um, cause it used to be like 10 and now it's eight and it feels like this has been a very sort of short season. Um, even counting that half of Boba Fett season was the Mandalorian. Um, so I'm kind of curious about that. Um, I'm curious if we are going to see Sabine show up in the finale because to kick it off towards Ahsoka, because that's the next one up. So, I mean, and Clan Ren was, you know, a pretty influential clan. So I'm, I'm curious if we're going to see anyone from her clan show up, which people who don't didn't watch Star Wars or was going to have no idea what I'm talking about, but. You know, that's kind of stuff. I, I feel like obviously, you know, somehow uh, Grogu is going to recapture his dad. But, you know, what are your predictions for the finale? I, I think you're right on the money that we'll get some sort of Ahsoka tie-in. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if it'll be Sabine. It could be. It, it, we already had Zeb show up. We've, we yeah. figure Zeb's going to make an appearance, obviously, in Ahsoka at some point. Uh, I think it could be Thrawn. And I don't know if they'll show him. Oh, maybe. Or, yeah. or we'll hear him. Or will they'll show them from the back? Like they might, they might want to save the big reveal for Ahsoka potentially, mm-hmm. or they literally could show his face as like the last shot of Mando. Like it yeah. almost could be like remember like Mandalorian they gave that tag scene with for the book of yeah. Boba Fett essentially. Like they could do something like that. I feel like we might see Thrawn, but we're definitely going to see some sort of Ahsoka tie-in, no yeah. doubt. My other prediction is that Din's helmet's coming off because it comes off at least oh, once yeah. every season. Hasn't happened yet. They're going to force Pedro Pascal to get on set to do that one scene where he takes his helmet off. He's got to earn his paycheck. I assume his helmet is coming off. And also the fact that, you know, we did have that scene where all of the night owls took their helmet off. Like, I think it's just going to become, you know, more. I mean, I, it always just aggravates me that it's on all the time, though it allows him to do a lot of other work. But, you know, yeah, I do assume uh, I do assume Pedro's helmet is coming off. Well, I, I, I assume, assume Mo- Mo- Moff Gideon's going to take it off. Like, I don't think it'll be yeah, his choice to like Moff Gideon. He's his prisoner and he's going to just take the helmet <laughs> off. And there you go. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, which is but, probably you know, literally the only reason why they had him be captured. They're like, how are we going to get this guy's helmet off? He's not going to take it off now. He's devoted himself to another watch. <laughs> He's got to be captured. That's the only way. Well, if he's on Mandalore, then he just go back to living waters. And then, you know, it's a, it's a short <laughs> trip this time for him to do it. <laughs> just jump right back in there. Come back. Stick his helmet on. It's on. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, we, we have the big finale coming up next week and we will be all over it um, for our last installment of season three of The Mandalorian. Uh, but as for this week, we're not done yet because we spoke to two Mandalorian stars last week. And this week we're speaking to three. We've got Grief Karga, Moff Gideon, and the Armor with us. That's right. Carl Weathers, Giancarlo Esposito, and Emily Swallow stopped by to chat with us at Star Wars Celebration. And we've got that interview with the Power Trio coming up right after this quick break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Carl, do you ever wear your high magistrate robes when you're directing just to command a little more, like, you know, respect on the set? Uh, I never wear my high magistrate robes when I'm directing on the set, but I do like to shower in them. There's something about sudsing up with the high magistrate robes on that gives me just such a sense of how sexy the man really is. You know, so shower, suds, magistrate robes, Yes. Speaks of, it, it kind of feels like Mandalorian. John Carlos sitting there with a look on his face like, what the hell is he talking about? We're just going along for the ride. Anyway, that's, that's enough. Well, what was it like the first time you put those on, though? Because I mean, that's oh. an extreme look change. For Not only is it extreme look change, it's a heavy, heavy, heavy change. It weighs a lot because of all the brocade and different layers and that crazy cape on the back with the little creatures following him around so it's uh you know moving around in it it's it's actually man it's one of the toughest pieces of wardrobe i think i've ever worn because the cape is so long and so heavy just turning around it i've got to kind of sweep it with my hand and then you got those crazy little things on the back that get swept along also it's having that much power is a tremendous burden it didn't feel like power really it felt like i was living up to the wardrobe's designer's (laughs) desires you know Uh, emily um you had this key moment where you basically send bo katan out on this mission to unite mandalore and and What's it been like working with Katie Sackhoff? Because with these two characters, I think a lot of us were anticipating that these two characters were going to butt heads when they got together. And uh, instead, they seem to forge this bond of mutual respect. Yeah, I think a lot of people were really looking forward to a, a knockdown, drag-out fight between Bo and the armorer. Um, and I love that we got to surprise them with this um, perhaps alliance. You know, there's a lot of people who are um, understandably still very skeptical about it. And I think even the two of them are still sort of feeling it out. But I think that that skepticism is very understandable. And I think for the two of them, you know, they have ideas and ideals that they have held to very strongly for a long time. And they have based the way that they live on those ideals. And both of them have had to learn through trials and tribulations that there may be another way of looking at things and that perhaps the only way forward is through looking at at things through another lens. And I love that they're both maybe open to that new idea. We're still seeing if that holds true. But I'm very excited. Uh, I was excited when I got that script and saw that we had that scene together and that there was this uh, really tension-filled moment of her asking her to remove her helmet. And it was thrilling to shoot that because it was... You know, Katie said when we were doing it that she was she didn't know if she should be doing that or not. You know, was the armor setting her up to to fall? Um, but everyone is sort of getting out of their comfort zone and, and realizing that the old way hasn't been working. So we don't really know what the new way is, but there needs to be perhaps a different way. And Carl, you directed uh, one of the key scenes between 
the armor and Katie Sackhoff while you're wearing your high magistrate robes. Uh, <laughs> what was shooting the, that scene like with the two of them? Um, actually, Careful, I'm listening. I know, you're right beside me. Uh, <laughs> an arm, armor carries a big hammer. Um, it actually was a lot of, uh, I, dare I say the word fun, uh, part of the reason is because uh, both actresses, both Katie and Emily, are so invested as actresses in their characters. And to see them uh, move through the scene and and to see them together, because you don't have a lot of scenes with, which are about two women, who two very powerful women, you know, who as Emily said, who really have their understanding of what they've been doing and why they're doing it. And to see them come together in the armorer's layer, so to speak, and seem to be forming this alliance, you know, having an understanding, uh, coming from a kind of female perspective, energy, was really kind of cool in the Mandalorian, you know, which is filled, obviously, with all this testosterone and, uh, and action and, and, and male perspectives. It was a cool scene in that quiet sort of space that the armorer has controlled for so long. So, first of all, having the armorer invite her into the space and for them to interact in the way they did uh, just gave it, an, uh, gave it another color which was really nice to see. Uh, Giancarlo, where have you been? Where's Moff Gideon? (laughs) (laughs) That's for me to know and you to find out. I've been, you know, regaining my dignity and harnessing all of my energy with a plan. Did you know when season two ended that we weren't going to be seeing him for a while when we picked things up in season three? No, I didn't. I didn't really know that. Um, I had a, a sense of it as time went by, and I knew that they were cooking up something really great for Moff Gideon, which you'll, you're, soon, you're soon to be apprised of. But uh, you know, the 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 creators of the show are so you know very specific in what they do, and their timing within uh, the season episodes are, are built to excite and and give you anticipation. So uh, I I trust that uh, they know exactly where I should enter and how that should be played out. How do you follow along when you're not on the show for that long? Are you still reading the scripts and, like, catching up? Or are you just like, you know, I'll I'll wait till they need me back? No, you know, um, so we don't often get apprised of the scripts if we're not in them. Um, I think it's just the, the way of trying to keep things under wraps for our creators. Uh, so you make a phone call and you say, hey, what's happening? What's the plan? And they, they are tight-lipped and giving you little clues as to what may happen. Uh, I'm one of those actors who doesn't really need to know. Uh, and so, you know, I, John will call me and say, you know, something along the lines of possibly this or that or the other. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve. You know, let me know when you need me. You know, at a certain point, within, we need mirrors. We need mirrors for the, the, the light and the dark, the good and the evil. Uh, we need to see mirrors of ourselves, and I think that's why this show is so successful, because we're able to see uh, the, the, the struggle on a larger scale of a people who want to reclaim something they've lost. They are having a hard time getting it together to bring everyone together, right, to bring the disparate parts of their own people together. And while that confusion is there, um, we're still somewhere out there is someone who wants to 
really take over and has another agenda. And so that excitement is always there, and it's always a wonderful thing to play uh, a character like Moff Gideon because at the right moment, um, I'm going to come in and surprise you. It almost makes him scarier in a way because you hear this season has been all these whispers. Like, I heard he didn't even make it to trial. Like, I, I heard this, I heard that. And, like, the threat kind of grows just by him not even being seen because we have no answers. Without a doubt. And that's the, you know, the, 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 the real, um, you know, golden egg of great writing is that you, you know, you tease that and tease it, but you also tantalize the audience. And as well as doing that, you strike fear in them because, you know, the longer you don't see me, the, the, the more pissed off I'm going to be when you do. <laughs> oh. That's true. Emily, we saw the armor come and, and save Grief Karga and company on Navarro. Uh, how much of that action did you get to do uh, before they called in the stunt team? I don't remember pretty great having scene. to be saved. What is that all about? The armor saved your people. I know, I know. I, know. I, I lent a hand and a hammer. <laughs> um, I do as much as they will let me do, but I have to give credit where credit is due to the amazing stunt performers that we have who are assisting us. And quite honestly, we are shooting so many things at once that there's not enough of me to go, <laughs> to go around. So um, I get to do a bit of the action, but there's also wonderful, wonderful women who also wear the armor's uh, armor and uh, fill in a little bit too. So I, I get to have some of my fun. Well, I can't wait to see how it all wraps up for season three. It's awesome. Thanks, guys, for coming by. I really appreciate the time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks to Carl Weathers, Giancarlo Esposito, and Emily Swallow for stopping by this week. And thank you for stopping by as well. Uh, we don't ask for a lot, but we, we will ask you to take 30 seconds to please follow, rate, and review the podcast. That is the way. You can connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morglore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>